Never in my life have I felt so conflicted about a game I love. Final Fantasy XVI is the latest in the franchise that boots turn-based combat and ATB mechanics for straight-up Devil May Cry combat. As in, they literally hired the same guy that designed the combat in Devil May Cry 5 to design combat in this one. While I can understand the gnashing of teeth from fans of old, I personally am not fazed by it, because it works quite well. I think it's also important to remember that Final Fantasy is literally a franchise that is rooted in taking risks and changing the formula while retaining its identity and theme. I think Final Fantasy XVI accomplishes that goal. I don't think anyone could reasonably play this and not recognize it as a Final Fantasy game unless they were being purposely obtuse about the change in direction. Before we get into the weeds though, here's a spoiler-free overview of what it's about. You play the game as Clive, think Dracula from Castlevania Lord of Shadows, and you're in the right ballpark. In spite of being a huge My Chemical Romance fan, Clive is of noble blood, an overall well-to-do nice guy, and a bearer. The term bearer and dominant are going to be thrown around a lot. Essentially, the world of Valisthea, each country has a giant crystal from which all magic is drawn. One problem, magic is toxic for normal people and they can't use it. Bearers can use magic and dominants literally host a magical avatar called an icon. Icons are the summons from every other Final Fantasy. If you recognize the names Ifrit, Shiva and Garuda, you'll know what I mean. But they each have an element associated with them. All this to say that when dominants go to battle, they take the form of these icons and can wipe out entire armies. Think of Jinchuriki from Naruto and we're pretty close. Each kingdom has a mother crystal and a dominant as their champion. Different countries treat their dominants and bearers differently. As you can imagine, it's kind of like having a human nuke. You know, like what happens if the guy that turns into a world destroying dragon is having a bad day? Final Fantasy XVI goes to great lengths to present the world as a Final Fantasy crossover with Game of Thrones. Everyone learned swear words and now they're allowed to use them. Limbs need not stay attached to bodies and your favorite characters are not safe from the Sean Bean treatment. They wave the Game of Thrones stick around menacingly, but at the heart of it, it's still a Final Fantasy story. Clive is the nicest of nice guys to ever exist in Nice Guy Land. Most of the characters you're going to meet are yes men that will extol your virtues, pick you up when you're down, and have a somewhat hopeful disposition when confronted with the environment and what's going on. There are certain moments of opposition from within the cast, but those moments are generally briefly stated before the game moves you to another moment to affirm that you are, in fact, the good guy. All this to say, if they wanted to do the Game of Thrones thing, they pussied out when it really mattered. If I had to describe the ratio, it's like 70% Final Fantasy and 30% Game of Thrones. This isn't really a complaint though, I can see how some people would rather have had it be an all or nothing approach rather than having a foot in each camp, but I don't think it hurts the overall narrative the way you think it would. This will be obvious to anyone who has played Final Fantasy XIV, there is a ton of Final Fantasy XIV DNA in XVI. It's the same director. Final Fantasy XIV also relieves characters of its limbs and subverts player expectations with its story twists. It goes further than that though, for better or for worse, many elements from Final Fantasy XIV are ported into XVI. No one believed me when I said I can see Final Fantasy XIV design in XVI's combat. But Liv, 
It's an action game, and 14 is a tab-targeted MMO, I hear you say, Captain Obvious. Allow me to elaborate. In Final Fantasy XIV, you are doled out abilities very slowly, giving you a long time to become familiar with them. This is also true in sixteen, to the point where I was pretty bored. It's an action game with an extremely limited palette to begin with, but there is a method to the madness. Final Fantasy XIV starts with easy dungeons that give you a simple mechanic to deal with, like don't stand in the orange circle. Okay, the next dungeon there will be don't stand in the orange circle, and DPS this pylon before the boss casts an ability. You get the picture. By the time you are 100 hours in, it becomes an elaborate dance that you've learned step by step. You didn't even realize you earned a degree in basement dwelling. Final Fantasy 16 shares this approach, with many mechanics being carried across from boss to boss and each building on the other in difficulty. It goes to great lengths to make the learning process and playing the game seamless. Were it not for those pesky tutorial screens popping up, they would have gotten away with it too. Here's another example of how 16 emulates 14. The main story quest is the only thing that matters, and a lot of the side quests are arbitrary MMO fillers straight out of 2003. Oh, it's the end of the world and you have to fight an ogre that is eating children in the woods? Cool. But that waiter quit, and I can't think of anyone better fitted to the job than you, valued player. Don't worry, I'm sure little Timmy won't need his limbs. Now, I'm not being completely fair because it gets worse. At least in Final Fantasy XIV, there is a different marker for important and interesting side quests that enrich the narrative. Well, some of the side quests in Final Fantasy XVI are also enriching to the main story. Some of the best moments in the game are tucked away in those chained side quests, especially toward the end. But Final Fantasy XVI makes no effort to differentiate the good ones with the ones I can only assume are there for Assassin's Creed Valhalla fans. This is important and it's going to be the biggest complaint of this review. The big story moments are so good. They make you think and feel in a way that can only be described as Final Fantasy story cocaine. But just like cocaine in real life, you come down from the high only to find that your neglected chores have piled up in your absence. It's sigh-inducing, because you just want to get back to where the game was good, but you need to go and filter through the padding to get there. I understand that stories need downtime in between the big moments, but this is the wrong kind of downtime. And you know what? I'm starting to grasp the problem. It seems very clear that Final Fantasy XVI is a game of the year attempt by Square Enix. While it's true that there are exceptions to the rule, the general public tends to gravitate towards cinematic narrative experiences in video games. The Last of Us and God of War come to mind. They're easier to advertise and draw people in. The general public also tend to equate length of gameplay, map size, and scope with overall quality of a product. Again, it's easier to advertise. Think of how amazing it was to see the icon battles and realizing that those are playable events. It's impressive. Then the question. Can you have everything and impress everyone? The answer is no. You can make a group of people very happy, or you can make a vast ocean of people mildly amused. I think Final Fantasy XVI casts its net a bit wide and manages to water down what could have been. For example, you have this great geopolitical setup with warring nations, but you're generally just told or shown the events on a map with a voiceover. You also never make any decisions. 
a game like Dragon Age Origins is a good example of handling a similar political environment, but making the player a part of the world and making them think about the path they are taking. It's essentially faked here. While we're on the topic of Dragon Age, let's talk about companions. You can't control them. You can give your doggo commands with the D-pad, but you never get to interact with your companions in the same way. And I can only assume that it was excluded because it would conflict with gameplay, but you, you did it for the dog. And also, while your companions are with you, they offer very little in meaningful dialogue. This was another thing that Dragon Age Origins did very well to make you really think and care about your party. Your characters had personalities and they would talk back and forth, and it made the travel between quests interesting. In Final Fantasy XVI, it's almost like they were scared of creating interest or that it would somehow replace side quest content down the line. You can see the world map and you can choose where to go, but you won't really travel the world on foot because while it goes out of its way to look expansive with its views and vistas, a quick squeeze of the map will reveal that you are on a narrow path with invisible walls. But the good news is, there's no loading screens. Guess you can't have it all. Personally, I don't care that the game is an open world, but I kind of wish that they embraced its linearity rather than traveling back and forth on the map between the hub and the different levels. Final Fantasy XVI also does that thing that all quote-unquote good AAA games do now, where you have to hold a button for 5 seconds just in case you weren't sure you wanted to pick up the stick that Ronda from the stables was looking for. Like sure, do it where the event will lock you into a boss fight or something, but it's there for everything. Why? It feels copy-pasted simply because other AAA titles do it. You become the leader of a group, and you have a hideout, but you have no agency over your hideout. In fact, no one does anything in your hideout. You know how I know that? Because every time something needs to be done, the NPCs pop a handy quest icon over their head, and they make you do it. Who's the boss here? Also, your hideout is large and sprawling with an inconvenient layout that forces you to travel to bridge points to cross from one side to another. The cherry on top is that Clive can't sprint unless Yoshi P says so. Yoshi P has a strict no running in hideout policy, so I hope you enjoy cantering from the west side of the hideout to the east side to talk to the botanist who wants you to talk to the accountant conveniently placed on the west side. What is this for? If I am the leader, then let me lead. I understand that good leaders also serve, but it takes it to the point where it feels like everyone drawn to your cause just learnt the term weaponized incompetence from TikTok. The truth is, I wouldn't mind a sprawling layout if it meant something, but it means nothing without some form of agency. It's simply there so you can have a cool panning moment for cinematic backdrops. After every quest, there's a huge splash screen giving you a rundown of what you've earned. This is fine sometimes, but why is the game laying out a red carpet for delivering bread to the baker? I feel like this is another MMO holdover to draw the player away from the second screen and realize that they can stop clicking the skip dialogue button. Oh my god, yes, there's a dog and you can pet it. Cool. I'd rather pet Jill. No, you know what? I like the dog. I'll fold on this one. You and I know why the dog is there, and it's not a great reason, but they did such a good job of making you care about the dog. I, I kind of wish there was more interaction with the dog. I'll fold on that. At this point, you're probably thinking that I hate this game. But my sweet summer child, I only hate on things I really like. You just have to trust me on this and let me cook. 
And if you can do that, then you pass the bar for being able to enjoy Final Fantasy XVI's narrative because there were many times where I thought that the plot wasn't really going anywhere, uh, but you need to let it cook and I, I promise you it's worth it. After everything I've said, after dragging this game through the gutter, it's time to clean it up and give it a cuddle in the same way I needed a cuddle after the credits rolled. The dominance and their icons are the coolest thing in gaming this year. I have not witnessed such grandiose encounters since Asura's Wrath, and it's not just the fights. The build-up to these conflicts and the personality of the dominance are so interesting. Some more than others, but my personal favorites are Garuda and Titan. It's so compelling that I wish I could play the game from their perspective. And then, of course, you have these escalating fight mechanics that build up over multiple encounters and phases, all culminating into these epic clashes between these Godzilla-sized icons. And yes, a lot of these are just quick-time events, but there's some great moments that put a grin on my face the same way I had a grin on my face when Goku first turned Super Saiyan for the first time. It's decadent, it's over the top, and finally someone is listening to the gamers rather than trying to put NFTs into the icons. These moments are also very intense because one can reasonably assume that if your party member is in the fight and that big old Game of Thrones stick is waving around, then tragedy could befall your favorite character at any moment. At one point, I even started to wish that certain members of my party would die so that my favorite could make it. The action combat is solid. You have the basic attack, a magic projectile, a dash, and a dodge. You can parry attacks by attacking when your enemy is about to swing, but it's not well explained. The trick is that your weapon needs to hit the enemy's hitbox when the enemy's windup is over and starting to throw into the attack motion. All this to say, you need to know the enemy attack patterns to do this with any amount of reliability because reacting to what you see on screen is too slow in most cases. It's a nice little skill element in combat even if it's completely unnecessary for the purposes of finishing the game. The spice are the icon abilities. What's that? I thought Clive was a bearer. Deal with it, it's in the trailers. Clive can channel different icons, which means you can replace your dash with another utility ability and you get access to different icon abilities like creating a whirlwind or a pillar of flame. These abilities are coded to their icon and their element. Shiva is ice, Phoenix is fire, Titan is rock, you get the gist. Eventually you get three presets that are swapped with L2 giving you six icon abilities and three utility moves. Remember this for later, just trust me. You can also press L3 and R3 together to realize. That's right, mental understanding is an ability in this game. But in practical terms, it gives you access to your limit break, which is the high damage mode on, on a timer. Think Kaoken times 10. A lot of these abilities are unlocked by spending ability points on skill trees earned as you progress. But when you get an ability combo that you like and everything is just working and you are in the rhythm, Final Fantasy 16 just feels so good to play. I will say that fodder enemies don't let you experience this really. They are dumb and they just stand around waiting for you most of the time. Your normal attacks take too long to kill them but your icon abilities feel overkill. Where the combat starts to shine is in the elite and boss fights, where you can really flex those icon abilities and dodges. Every elite and boss has a stagger bar underneath their health bar. Stagger damage is different to health damage, but for the purposes of gameplay, you just keep hitting them until they stop moving, kind of like real life. 
Once staggered, the boss will be immobilized for a period of time and everything crits like a boot to the kidney in the fetal position. You can build up huge damage numbers. By the end of the game, I did so much damage during the stagger timer, the game stopped the boss from taking any more damage because it needed to play a cutscene. The game called a timeout. Final Fantasy 16 also offers hunts. These are essentially bounties for optional bosses in the world. This for me was the best gaming experience of the whole game because I accidentally found a level 50 S rank boss when I was level 39 and yes, it killed me a lot. I, I finally felled the beast and I felt so good about it I called my mom. There are also optional time trial challenges that lock your abilities to a certain icon. I think this is a great tool for combat mastery that gets the player to think about options other than the combo they decided was good at the beginning of the game. Final Fantasy 16's music is so good that I almost forgot to praise it. I had to go back and rewrite this. But yes, it's good here too. Some familiar sounds and some cool new ones. I'm looking at you, Titan. The soundtrack doesn't quite push the boundaries the same way the Final Fantasy 14 one does. You know, wider net and all that. But it is really good and I think I'll still be listening to it in my car for quite a long time to come. Voice acting is also great. You can tell that they went to great lengths as a Japanese studio to make the game sound good in English. Clive is expertly voiced and manages to teach the class of 2023 protagonists the fine line between knowing when to talk and when to shut up and be classy. It doesn't end there. There wasn't a single voice actor that stood out as a weak point to me. My only nitpick is that sometimes the lip movements aren't amazing, but you know, we can't all be L.A. Noir. I digress. There are moments in Final Fantasy 16 that are so sweet and wholesome that I cringed myself out of existence, and I mean that in a good way. I think I easily get attached to video game characters, but shows of affection between the characters, those wholesome moments, and there's some really, truly bittersweet moments. They really move me. I think this is a speciality of Final Fantasy games, and I know someone will tell me that other games do it better, but shut the fuck up. Don't take this away from me. I think I get it now. If anyone asked me if The Last of Us was a good game, I would say no. But if you asked me if it was a game that made me feel, a game that made me think, a game that made me dream and care, then yes, it was all of those things. And that can cover a lot of technical wrongs, because we're moving into a realm of analysis that is hard to be objective about. For all of its flaws, Final Fantasy XVI does a great job of moving the player to dwell on its story and care about the characters, the what-if moments, long after the completion of it. And while it's on the easy side of, of gameplay, the gameplay mechanics are really tight, and it's fun to explore the different icon abilities. Gun to my head, I'll give Final Fantasy 16 an 8 out of 10.